Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Resilient Health Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Darren Ingalls. And if any of you have ever worked with a functional medicine practitioner, naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, chiropractor, they have probably trained with my guest today. My guest is Dr. Jeffrey Bland. He's the founder of Big Bold Health, a company on a mission to transform the way people think about one of nature's greatest innovations, the immune system. Dr. Bland's clear spans more than 40 years. He's a nutritional biochemist by training. He began his academic uh, work as a university professor and spent three decades in the natural product industry working alongside other pioneers. In 1991, he and his wife, Susan, founded the Institute for Functional Medicine, a.k.a. IFM. And in 2012, he also founded another educational nonprofit called the Personalized Lifestyle Medicine Institute. Through his company, Big Bold Health, Dr. Brand advocates for the power of immunorejuvenation to enhance immunity at a global level, often through the rediscovery of ancient food crops and superfoods. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Dr. Bland is committed to his building a network of small farms and suppliers throughout the U.S., taking a clear stance on regenerative agriculture, environmental stewardship, and planetary health. Dr. Bland, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, what a treat, Dr. Eagles. Thank you. And um, as you can tell, just, just from the breadth of the things that you mentioned, uh, I'm totally passionate about this connection between the planet, the person, the plants, and, and how we all function together. So thanks for giving a forum for that discussion. Well, I know this might be something that people aren't as familiar with, but I want to, I really want to tie in the work you're doing now about the connection between the planet, our immune system, and how this is all kind of interwoven together. So, you know, what can you say about the evolution of personalization in immunity and how it really relates to, you know, what's going on with the planet right now? Well, thank you. That I know it's a very that's long really <laughs> question, yeah, well, that's but what it's drawn drawn me in at this phase of my career to uh, to a full full on commitment. And uh, you know, my wife said something to me not too long ago. She said, "So Jeff, you know, you've been through several decades of uh, different kind of career development and your advocacy, and starting IFM and starting PLMI, and you know, really at this age, do you need something else?" and my answer to that question was, uh, I don't need anything. I feel like the world has just been very gracious and, and benef beneficial things that I've experienced and had opportunity to engage in. But then there's the other side of the story, which is, what's your responsibility from the, uh, the benefits that you've been able to receive or the payback uh, from those benefits? and and where do you give over some of the resources and time and, and learnings that you've had to the people coming up that are going to steward the next generation? And when I really gave that very, very strong thought, I would be feeling fairly selfish if I just said, well, okay, I've done this work for the last 30 plus years. Maybe it's time to retire. And so my concept of retirement is to redefine that word. Retire means to put new tread on the tires so that you can roll a few more decades. <laughs> and uh, so that's my retiring process. And the reason that I was so energized by that concept is that I was drawn into this question of what does our immune system really do? And this has been a 
kind of a passion of mine for a number of years, but it really has focused into the development of the Big Bowl Health Company because I recognize that for the average person, their understanding of the immune system is is fairly incomplete because I think I, what the average person believes is that the immune system is kind of there to defend us from colds and flu, viruses and bacteria. And um, it's it's kind of just sits there in wait some infectious organism so that it can defend us. And if we've got a good immune system, we get defended. If we don't, then we get sick. That's kind of a, a simple-minded model of how many people view their immune systems. But what we actually know is that the immune system is much more important and much more active than that alone. That is part of what it does, but it's only a part of what it does. It turns out that the immune system is really found resonant uh, in virtually every tissue and every organ of the body. Yeah, the right. brain has its, its own immune system. The liver has its immune system. The gut has its immune system. The muscles even have their own immune system. And and therefore, the immune system is constantly there in doing uh, search and repair. It's, uh, it's regenerating tissues. It's uh, not just defending, but it's also reconstructing our body so that we don't end up just being a bunch of old, uh, broken down tissues and our body can be, be rejuvenated. And that process of rejuvenation, which is a part of the virtue of a healthy immune system, is something that then tracks against our biological age. So a healthy immune system is associated with lower biological age. And in fact, there is now data saying that if you want to know what your years of life is, are most likely to be, how long you'll live in the absence of an accident or something, you then should be measuring the age of your immune system because the age of your immune system most closely tracks to the way that you will ultimately live out to uh, your determination of life. And so then it, it, the, the question is, well, hold up, the age of our immune system, isn't that tracked by our birthdays? And the answer is, is no that you can have an age of your immune system that's much older than your age and birthdays, or it could be much younger than your age of birthdays. And obviously those with the immune systems that are more vital, more resilient, uh, their immune systems have younger biological age than that of their chronological age. And those are the individuals who have very long life expectancies and, and uh, can resist uh, chronic illness. So I came to recognize that this concept of the immune system's function and our ability to own our immune system rather than to become a victim of our immune system is something that people don't know enough about. We should be spending our time really educating individuals as to how they can take charge of their immune systems so that they do the work that they need to keep them healthy and keep their biological age young as they move forward with their birthdays. You know, I, I spend so much work in my practice dealing people with immune and autoimmune issues. And I, I think, you know, when you talk about this understanding of the immune system being primarily defense, you know, we, we learn so much about its role in understanding what's part of our world and what we call immune tolerance. And I think what we've seen over the last several decades is this massive loss of immune tolerance, particularly in westernized nations, where our immune systems are not discriminating well, what's part of our world, what's not part of our world, which is why we see this massive uptick in both immune and autoimmune diseases and disorders. I, and I think it's kind of fascinating when you look at particularly a lot of third world countries where, you know, they still have a lot of problems with infection and poor sanitation and food quality issues. But what's fascinating is if you look at like, 
allergy and autoimmunity and asthma, the incidence is extremely low. So when we talk about our interaction with the planet and the environment, you know, how much of what we've done in Western society has altered that our, our immune system to the point where, again, we're losing that tolerance. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, how much do you think that's a contributing factor to what we're seeing with this uptick in autoimmune problems? Well, I, I want to compliment you. I think what you just said was so succinctly and well articulated. That, that is the secret sauce, what you just talked about. And that is, um, <laughs> there, there are whole books being written about this, whole schools of thought being explored on this. But I think you captured in that uh, narrative exactly where the action point is today. So let, let me just kind of reframe slightly what you just said so, so well. Um, and this is part of my learning. I have felt um, that I had a pretty good understanding of uh, what we know about our immune system, the different uh, components of our immune system, the innate immune system, the adaptive immune system, the T lymphocyte systems how those different cell types that occupy those different parts of our immunity operate based upon the best knowledge that we have in the science of immunology today. But what I didn't understand until recently, and shame on me, I, I this shows a big uh, mea culpa, and that is that this immune system we have is interwoven and tightly uh, interconnected to the immune system of plants, which is interconnected to the immune system of other animals. Those of us that are pet owners know that to some extent, as it relates to the interconnection between the health of the plant, uh, of the of the pet, and the health of the owners. And then we also then go to the health of the plant, and specifically to the immune health of the plant. And here is where I had my biggest learning, because I didn't fully understand until the last several years that plants have their own immune systems. They're different than the human immune system in that they don't have white blood cells that are traveling in the bloodstream like we do that are part of our immunity, but they have certain other parts of their bodies of the plant's function that are analogous in terms of immune defense to the cells that we have in our body that are involved with immune defense. And some of those things that are related to immune defense in plants are the things that they produce in their cells that help to activate protection against uh, infection, against injury, against drought, against sunburn. Uh, if you think about a plant, it doesn't, can't run away and hide, so it has to expose itself to the sun all day long, so it has to protect itself, and that's an environmental stressor, and it forms its own anti-stress compounds. These are part of the plant's immune system. They're, they're called phytochemicals or plant-derived chemicals, and they are there specifically over the evolution of plants to um, guide the plant's ability to survive, uh, not knowing knowing that it can't run away and hide. It has to be present. It has to be able to defend itself against all sorts of insects, predators, organisms, infection, as well as injury. And it does so through the production of this array, actually uh, hundreds of different unique plant compounds called phytochemicals having names like uh, polyphenols and flavonoids that then are there to be the plant's immune system. Now, where that story gets even more interesting for me is it turns out that those agents that are producing plants for their immunity are in part related then to the soil in which that seed was grown and how the plant matured from the seed to the final plant. 
because the soil has its own unique uh, microbiome, its own unique uh, set of organisms that live in healthy soil, the so-called mycorrhiza. And those organisms have their own immune systems and they secrete, uh, as a consequence of their activity, specific agents that influence the genes of the plant seeds as they're growing up to activate the immune system in the plant. So the soil health and its effective immune system connects to the plant health and its effective immune system, which connects then to the food that we eat from those plants and how it activates our immune system. It is a system of interwoven connection. And if you break that system by toxic soil, you end up with depreciated immune defense in humans. And so now we get this whole bigger picture of why we in the United States were one of the countries, in fact, not one, we were the country in the developed world that had the highest adverse outcome from the SARS-CoV-2 virus infection in terms of presentation in COVID-19. The United States population had the worst immune response to that virus. And you ask the question, well, why would that be? We have all this modern medicine. We have all these uh, available foods. Uh, it's because we are eating foods that are wrong. We're living lives that are not renourishing our immune system. We're not sleeping well. We're under stress. We're exposed to chemicals. All of those various agents have an effect upon the patency of our immune system, which then in a time where reserve is necessary, like the exposure to SARS-CoV-2, we don't have that reserve. Our ability to mobilize effective resilience is compromised. And now what we see is much more serious outcome called COVID-19. So all these things become almost like pandemics within pandemics. The original pandemic is a suboptimal immune system coupled with the suboptimal environment in which we're living. It then translates to an increased risk to a pandemic that we call COVID-19. Well, I like how you tie that all in together, you know, about the quality of the soil. It's like it's, it's, it starts at the most basic level from, yeah, the, the soil enrichment of the plant, the quality of the plant, where we source the plant, how we, we, you know, we grow our crops. And I remember reading a study, you know, years ago, I think when I was in medical school, where they had looked at crops grown. It was somewhere in the Midwest. And the soil was so depleted because of the habitual pesticide and herbicide use that selenium was almost non-existent. You know, selenium is a very important nutrient for our immune system, for our connective tissue. <clears throat> and if you're, you know, eating locally and the soil isn't providing the right nutrients to the plant, you know, we have so many people, I think that they on the surface feel like they're eating good, healthy, diverse diets. But even in that, is it still possible to have some sort of nutritional deficiency just because the soil in which that crop came from was already depleted and therefore the plant just didn't carry the nutrient that our bodies need. Yeah, I think that that is a very important point. So this um, interest that I developed uh, in this bigger picture of immunity, which ultimately led into starting the company Big Bold Health, uh, has taken me into something that probably I would have not forecast I'd ever be doing. And that is we now own parts of organic farms um, and we're in, engaged in regenerative agriculture uh, around a specific immune active plant food that's actually been consumed in the human diet for 4,000 years. It, it's lost in America, but 
It has been a foodstuff for 4,000 years. It's called Tartary buckwheat, and it comes from the Himalayan uh, region of China. Um, so we call it Himalayan Tartary buckwheat. It turns out that that plant, which is not a weed at all, by the way, unfortunately, you got the name weed, buckwheat, because it has no relationship to wheat. It's not even a cereal grain. It's a fruit seed. But um, Himalayan Tartary buckwheat has uh, about 50 to 100 times the level of these immune-active uh, compounds, these polyphenols and, and uh, flavonoids, you know, as any other plant food. And the reason for it is that that, uh, that plant, in order to survive in that very hostile region of the, of the foothills of the Himalayan mountains with very dramatic weather changes and poor quality soils, and it has to defend itself against uh, all sorts of invaders. So it, it evolved a very rich immune system. It's uh, uh, encoded with this 50 to 100 time level of various, uh, uh, what I call a portfolio or an orchestra of these immune active nutrients. So we uh, asked the question, who in the United States was, was growing uh, Himalayan tertiary buckwheat? This is about four years ago. And it turns out that although this was a colonial food, it was brought over by our colonial ancestors because of being so hardy and was grown in, in the original colonies, it got lost in American agriculture about 200 years ago. And there was virtually no one growing uh, in North America, uh, this Himalayan tertiary buckwheat any longer. It had been lost as a foodstuff. So we uh, we made the decision, you know, this is a good opportunity for us to to learn something about regenerative agriculture and connect it into uh, regeneration of this plant food that had been lost, and then start doing human clinical trials to see what effect eating that food had on human immunity. And we're the first group, I think, in the world to actually do a clinical trial in humans, a U.S. Uh, government-approved trial, uh, examining the impact of these nutrients on uh, immune system function at the genetic level, looking at the epigenetic uh, regulation of function of immune cells based upon people consuming these nutrients in higher quantity. And lo and behold, what we found out was, uh, I think, quite remarkable. We found out that over the course of 90 days, people incorporating these nutrients at higher levels in their diet, when we examined the genes of their immune system cells, we found that they were rolled back to a, longer, a younger biological age, that we actually able to change the epigenetic marks on the on the immune cells, such that uh, we were able to to turn back these uh, these what I guess you call them immune scars that were on their immune system genes that were causing them to be in a state of inflammation. So I think that we're we're witnessing using the modern science what maybe cultures have known in, in regions around the world, the so-called blue zones, uh, that are the regions where people with very little modern medicine lived in their hundred year uh, longevity and have very high levels of health that they've been consuming these foods that contain these specific types of nutrients and living certain lifestyles that are conducive to the expression of immunorejuvenation, rejuvenating their immune system uh, to be more functional. So we feel like we're on the tip of, of a tremendous revolution in understanding of how we could take charge of our immune system and start to uh, not just say we have an okay immune system, but we have an immune system working at uh, younger age than our age and birthdays to defend us. Well, uh, you know, as a naturopathic doctor, I think, you know, we always promote food as medicine as much as you can get through what you eat versus trying to have to take a pill or a supplement. You know, I think that's always the best way to support your body. And inevitably through food, you're getting all those other nutrients, you know, whether you're getting the macronutrients like the protein, the carbohydrate, fat, or you're getting, you know, specific trace minerals, other nutrients. 
you know, that's always the best way. So I think this is really exciting. And I, you know, when I interviewed you for my, my summit uh, a couple of months ago, and you introduced me to the product, you were kind enough to send me a bag and we've actually really enjoyed it. It's, it's really good. <laughs> you know, I've had regular buckwheat and I got to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of regular buckwheat. And maybe you can tell me the difference between the, the Himalayan buckwheat and regular buckwheat, because there's a very distinct flavor difference. Yes. And I think that's a really important point that you just made, Dr. Eagles, that I, I want to emphasize. So we often think of flavor in food, I think, as being some kind of a secondary characteristic. <laughs> it, um, and because of, we eat a lot of ultra-processed in our culture, much of that flavoring has been added in to give a certain taste profile. But in, in the natural world of foods, uh, flavor is a really important part of the uh, illustration of the unique nutrients that are in that plant. Flavor, uh, you know, be it bitter, sour, sweet, or uh, salty, uh, those, those, or umami, that's the fifth uh, flavor profile, those all come as a consequence of specific uh, receptors. We call those the taste receptors. We often think of them as sitting on the on the tip of our tongue. And so we think these are all related to uh, whether we're going to like or dislike a certain food based upon how it touches the tip of our tongue. Right. But now we start to recognize that actually these same receptors that are on our tongue are also found in the gastrointestinal lining. Uh, and so actually our food is being tasted metaphorically all the way down our intestinal tract. And these receptors, uh, these so-called taste receptors that are sitting on uh, embedded within our uh, mucosa of our intestinal tract are picking up information from our food. These are signals, these, uh, these tastings, uh, bitter, salt, sweet, or sour. Um, they're tasting, uh, which are activating specific receptors in our intestinal tract to produce specific types of hormones. These are called the endocrine uh, uh, hormone uh, family. Um, and the, 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 these uh, hormones include names like uh, uh, glucagon-like peptide 1, which is abbreviated GLP-1. It turns out that these hormones that are released as a consequence of our gastrointestinal tract being exposed to certain natural food tastings, uh, particularly bitter is one that actually does this, it stimulates the release into our blood of these hormones. They then regulate blood sugar, they lower inflammation, and they, they increase our immune vigilance. So when we think of taste, it's much more than just the tongue telling us whether that's a desirable food. It's a whole signaling process telling us what are the composition of those nutrients in that food that really are going to modulate how our genes are expressed and how our immune system is functioning. And I think this is a a much more powerful sense of responsibility of eating and eating foods with a variety of different tastes, different flavor profiles that are not synthetically flavored. Uh, sweet is low. Other flavors start to become dominant. It's interesting that, you know, people will say, oh, I like uh, strong coffee or I like red wine or I like uh, strong cheeses. Well, those are all flavors that are associated with specific agents within those foods that activate these receptors to produce certain kinds of the hormonal outcomes that regulate our function. So this, this emergence to understand that natural diets that contain diverse flavors, sometimes at first we say, oh, that's bad of an awful pudding. I'm not used to it because it's not sweet, salty, or fat. We have to retrain our taste buds 
to recognize the power and the beauty and the diversity of flavors in natural foods as we go to different cuisines and different spices and herbs. All of those impart health benefits through their signaling process. Well, uh, my experience with the Himalayan buckwheat, I, again, to me, bigger buckwheat tastes very earthy. I kind of think like when you eat mushrooms, it has kind of an earthy undertone. And the Himalayan buckwheat, to me, doesn't have that, that undertone at all. Again, yeah, it's not, it's not sweet. It's not sour. It's not, I think, the strong flavors that you kind of expect. It's very subtle, but it's good. It's not, it's, I want to say creamy, which isn't a flavor, but I think it's one of the best ways that I can describe it. Uh, but I, I've really enjoyed it. So I think for those uh, who might be interested in wanting to try it, where can they, uh, where can they find this right now? Yeah, thank you. Um, well, you can find it on Amazon. If you just go to Big Bolt Health on Amazon, we, we have uh, flour and recipes, other products with Himalayan Turner Buckwheat available, or, or you can just go to bigbolthealth.com and uh, we have, you know, we have a food lab, we do recipe development, we've got chefs that are putting in the gourmet applications. It, it, we've really formed a whole community around this because it's our hope that we can reintroduce this really important food back into the American food supply system. Our, uh, our cooperative organic farmers that we've got that are regeneratively growing uh, the product in, in upstate New York are totally dedicated to uh, preservation of the integrity of, of what we're trying to do. And I, th I think that to what, what our hope is that we can encourage many small farms to start growing this and get more and more penetration of this into the marketplace so that people can really benefit from it because it, it makes it makes a huge difference on one's immune system, in, in, including these uh, nutrient-rich foods in, into the diet. Well, I, again, I really appreciate all of the work you've done, of course, over the course of your career, and now this effort to really bring more awareness about the importance of food and how it impacts our immune system. Again, particularly coming off the heels of COVID-19, where just so many people have really suffered from poor immunity. I think, again, anything we can incorporate into our diets to improve our immune system is going to be helpful. And again, this is just one of those great foods that helps do that. And I also want to bring awareness. I know that you've got a I don't know, a summit or masterclass that's coming up uh, in April with uh, Dr. Austin Perlmutter that really focuses around the immune system. Can you just share with the audience a little bit about that? Yes, thank you. You know, we, we uh, are so impassioned <laughs> around getting this message out about how people can own their immune systems and become master of their immunity that we assembled a group of experts, Dr. Mark Hyman, I mean, a whole series of, of well-renowned experts in nutrition, health, and food is medicine. And we put together this, this summit, which we call the Immunity Solution, that I think has uh, groundbreaking news to use from these experts. And uh, this runs from April 12th to 23 uh, as, a, as a series of daily um, lectures that from these uh, key opinion leaders and it can be signed up uh, by going to the big world health website bigworldhealth.com just looking for the immunity solution we'd love people to be involved we uh we this will this is our second go around in this uh, educational opportunity the first time we had uh we we're very pleased to see tens of thousands of people be involved in and our whole advocacy is to get people to understand that they can be the masters of their immune system. They don't have to be the victims of it. And here are some tools that they can use to do so. And so I would really encourage uh, people to look at the immunity solution as 
as an educational opportunity. Yeah, well, uh, having just come off doing an allergy and asthma summit, uh, I love these events. They're free. You get a great opportunity, again, to hear some of the top experts in the world around the immune system. So we'll drop a link into the show notes for the Himalayan buckwheat if you're interested in wanting to try that. We'll also draw, uh, drop in a link for the summit. So Dr. Bland, again, I appreciate you spending time with me today and sharing all your expertise on the immune system. Carl, Dr. Eagles here making a huge contribution. And I, I just want to applaud what you're doing because it's all around getting people informed uh, so that we can make smart, intelligent choices about how we're going to lead our lives because we can, we can push back this rising tide of chronic illness if, if people just have the right information and can act upon it. So you're doing a wonderful job in spreading that information to empower people to make good choices. Great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Be well.